Check, check one, and we're recording. Beautiful. Genesis chapter 15. I've got to turn there myself. We're still talking about Abram and about the, the different um, ways that God's call on his life is playing out. And this week is fascinating. I think y'all will enjoy this. I, this was incredibly encouraging to me this week because it's talking about fear and doubt. I, I, can, I think I can speak for everyone in this room, and I know I can speak for myself. Our lives have fear and doubt <laughs> at all different places and all different times. This week, I, I had one in particular. Fear and doubt, the reason I use both those words is they kind of play off each other. When we're doubting whether or not God's going to take care of us, there's a lot of fear that comes in. And when there's something scary and fearful happening in our life, we tend to doubt not only God, but we, t- we can doubt ourselves. Like, am I going to be able to get through this? Is this going to be too hard? Is this finally going to take me down? One, one that I had in particular this week, uh, on Monday, my kids and I, our family, watches American Ninja Warrior. You ever seen American Ninja Warrior? It's great. And I told my kids, I said, let's make a bet. In two years, I'm going to be on the show. And I said, if I, if we, if I don't get on... I'm going to give you like a certain sum of money, and it's a large sum of money. And this is basically just to motivate myself to go to the gym, which is this one. And so I started this week, started my training, which basically just means get in decent shape is how it starts. I have yet to even, you know, do one pull-up. We're getting there. That's over time. But as I started the training, I was lifting weights and doing all kinds of stuff that I normally don't do. I, I tried machines that I normally don't gravitate towards because you've got to build a lot of upper body strength if you're going to do American Ninja Warrior. If you haven't seen it, basically it's people climbing on stuff. That's basically it. Um, and so training began. So through that, I sort of I injured myself a little bit. I won't give you the gory details, but uh, through the, the little injury, I discovered uh, um, a little... On my body, there's like, a, there's like a little a lump, shall we call it, right? I don't, know, I don't know if it was caused by the exercise or if it was something that, that um, it was discovered by me because of the exercise. I don't know. And that's, what, that's the doubt that begins in my head, right? There's a lump on your body. I don't know if anybody's ever discovered a lump on your body, but it's a scary feeling. You're like, okay, what does this mean? What do I need to do about it? I, for myself, being a bit of a hypochondriac, don't Google it. That's the first thing I've learned not to do. But it, especially Friday, um, just feeling I was, I was kind of in pain, and I, and I just started trying to get a doctor's appointment and things like that, you know. And it just there's a lot of fear that comes along with that, and then a lot of doubt about, you know, what if what if this is something serious. Am I going to have, do I have the resources to get through that? Am I, what's going to happen? How, what's going to happen to our family? You know, and you play out these ridiculous scenarios, but it's just the way that fear and doubt move through our life and move through our minds about our health and about our family's health and about, you know, our job and about all these different things can lead to fear and doubt. And that's exactly what we see here with Abraham. Let's read about his fear and his doubt from chapter 15 of Genesis. After these things, these things means the battle against the kings. 
After the battle against the kings, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, this is the most important part, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, that is Abram, O Lord God, how am I to know? I'm doubting right now. How am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep or deep darkness fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. So fear and doubt go hand in hand. Bottom line. And here's Abram. He's just attacked a whole slew. We read last week in chapter 14. He's attacked a whole slew of kings. The main one being Kedorlaomer. So he defeats Kedorlaomer, takes all the stuff back to his people. And not only that, on his way back, the king of Sodom comes out and says, hey, let's make a deal. And Abram says no. And Abram rejects the deal of the king of Sodom. Basically a slap in the face. So naturally, Abram is nervous. He's fearful. He's like, these, these people, these kings, these, another way to look at it in the time, this land that was happening, kind of like chieftains, they're going to come after me and my family, and I'm going to die. That's what's going to happen. I'm pretty convinced of this. And I'm fearful, and I'm, and Lord, what, what's up? And the Lord um, responds to him in amazing ways. 
You're going to see throughout this passage as we travel through this today, Abram brings several doubts to God. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to watch how God responds to Abram's doubts. Because I think, premise to begin, I think God deals with doubts, our doubts, Abram's doubts, better than the church or our society does. I really do. Because our, our, the church and society at large often deals with doubts about God, God's existence, God's care of us, God's purposes for our life. Our culture kind of goes, or, or, or let's talk about the church first. The church tends to go one of two ways, often. Not always, but often. The first way is what I'll call the conservative way. The conservative way is doubt is bad. You should be ashamed of your doubts. You should, you should feel terrible. You should feel guilt for doubting. And we're going to have a, a community of people where doubts are quashed. You, you have questions? Well, don't bring them up. We, we, we just got to prove to one another and to God that our faith is strong. So hang on real tight. Grit your teeth, clasp your fists, and just gut it out. Because your doubts are a problem. Your doubts are going to make God mad. His wrath will come upon you if you doubt him or doubt his, his ways. That's not how God responds to Abram. And y'all, there are whole communities, I, I, I've been a part of, that, that really this is how it kind of plays out, right? Where it's like, just hush, hush. Like, we can't really talk about what we're thinking or feeling because, again, we got to, because God would be mad at us for, for doubting. Then there's sort of the opposite end, and there's, there's churches that are more on the, um, what I would call kind of the liberal side. Again, these labels can be very unhelpful sometimes, but just take it for what it is. And, it, and, and doubt is treated more along the lines as, hey, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. You should be a skeptic about everything, right? That's, that's the way to do life. Like, you're a sophisticated, educated, modern person. Yeah, doubt everything. You know, that's normal. Um, and not only that, we can't really know anything, right? So let's just hug each other, make ourselves feel good, because you can't really know anything. And you can't be certain about anything. So, again, we're going to read Chicken Soup for the Soul today. This, again, this is kind of the other... It's kind of the other, other part of the spectrum, right? There's a whole spectrum going on. There's all kinds of stuff in between. But the, my point is just that neither of those is the way that God responds to doubt. Neither of those. And our society does the same thing on those kind of ends. But, but I don't have time to get into all the nuances of that this morning. Just know that, or just watch how God responds to Abram and his doubts and his fears. The first thing is Abram's fearing the attack from these other kings... And God, it says, God comes to him in a vision. This is, this is unique to the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, thank you, Deuteronomy. Um, the first five books of the Bible don't talk about people having this clarity of a vision. This is unique. Abram, God coming to him in a very clear unique way, saying to him what? Fear not. I am your shield, your very great reward. It's translated a little bit differently in some other translations. But fear not, Abram, fear not. And he hears this directly from God. What a reassurance. So God is saying, God is not 
condemning him for doubting. God is not condemning him for having fear. God is meeting him where he's at in his weakness. And he's saying, fear not. I got you. I got you. I mean, I think of it in terms of like a parent with a child, right? When my kids, like a dog is running at my kids, they're going to come running to me and have fear all over their face. And I'm going to grab them, right? And what am I going to do? I'm going to pick up one of my kiddos and I'm going to turn my back to the dog. The dog can rip me to shreds because they're not getting my kid though, right? And I mean, that's what God is trying to say to Abraham. He's like, I've got you. I, nothing and no one is getting through me to you. That is the image of a shield. When a shield was brought up at that time, you knew this thing is going to prevent arrows from getting through. This is going to be, God is going to protect you. God's going to turn around and he's going to take the blows for you. That's how much he is saying, that's how much I love you, Abram. That's how much God says even to us. That's how much I love you. I, I'm going to pick you up my arms and I'm going to put my back to whatever it is that you feel is coming after you because I'm going to take care of you. And so we would expect, of course, because we're like Abram, right? We would expect him to say, wow, that's amazing. I get it. I trust you fully. All of my doubts and fears have now faded into oblivion. What does Abram do? (laughs) He's like, you know what? Okay, yeah, okay, shield, good, got it. But you know what? While we're talking about fears and doubts, let me bring up another. While we're on the topic, and he says, Abram says to him, he says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You're not coming through for me. I'm in big time doubt right now, God. What's the deal? It's been 10 years since you made the promise to me that one of my offspring would be the one who produces this great nation that you're going to make of me. Not seeing it. <laughs> Y'all, I think there's just, we need to pause for just a moment and just remember what's happening here because it happens in our own lives. Doubt is inevitable. Abram's proving it for us. Doubt's inevitable. You will doubt. It's coming. If it, already, if it isn't already there right now. Doubt is inevitable. We have to just embrace it because God's going to deal with it. God deals with it. And the main thing for us to remember in the fact that doubt is inevitable, the main thing for us to remember is that God wants us to take it to him. See, Abram, what we're learning here from Abram is is what not to do in some ways. He says, okay, let me figure this out. I'm a smart dude. I've been to several different schools. and And I know what the customs of my land are. I know what's normal in my society. You might think of an American example. But I know, he's like, here's what, here's what normally happens if someone is childless. They take one of their servants, and they take, you know, make a child with the servant, and then the servant child becomes the heir of the family, and then they carry on the family line to the servant. So he's like, God, obviously, this is what you're going to do, right? I mean, I, like, I've been doing some thinking. <laughs> and I think I've got to figure it out, God. Even though you're not coming through for me, I can probably come through for myself. You ever done that? God, I think I can come through for myself here. Just hands off for a minute and watch my solution. It's pretty great. 
which is probably not what God wants Abram to do. And at the same time, once again, we see that God is incredibly gracious in his response to Abram. He doesn't immediately say, here we go again. You're such a fadduddle. I'm so tired of your complaining. I'm go- I, I shall smite you now, Abram. Let- shut your mouth. He doesn't do any of that. He, he does essentially, the way that I picture it in my head is, in, in not, not this time, instead of like the first picture of God picking up a child, right, and protecting that child, putting their back to the child, the way that I picture this next scene is God putting his arm around a person, around Abram. I, know, I don't want to make it too chum-chummy, I and mean, this is the king of the universe we're talking about, but he's being incredibly gentle with the doubting of Abram here. He takes him out, puts his arm around him, figuratively speaking, takes him outside and is like, look up, look up, what do you see? Stars, it's nighttime, I see stars, okay, and, and you can just imagine God being like, guess what that one's name is? And Abram's like, I don't know. And God's like, guess what that one's name is? I don't know. Guess what that one's name is? Abram, do you remember? I've got every star in the entire heavens named. The Bible talks about that later on. I've got every star named. I know, Abram, the number of hairs on your head. My creative power is greater than you ever want to even imagine. I've got you. Go outside, look up, look at my creative power, I've got you. That's what God is saying in both of these. It's it's a very concrete response. God is not pointing to like random theological concepts, right? He's pointing to very concrete things. He's like, Abram, think about a shield. That's what I'm like. I'm like a shield. Think about the stars. That's what I'm like. I'm incredibly powerful and incredibly creative and incredibly active in the universe. I made it all. And so I'm going to stick with it for a long, long time. And so again, Abram gets encouragement. He gets encouragement to look up. And thankfully, finally, woohoo! Abe! Yeah, you made it. You came through. It says, Abram, believe the Lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. God has been so gracious with him. And not only does it say, Abram, believe the Lord, but there's this really cool second half of this phrase it says and god credited to him as righteousness that is a very important phrase we find it coming up again in romans in the new testament god crediting to him righteousness but basically what the gist of it is is that abram you are in relationship with me based upon your faith a faith that i gave you through my call not the fact that you're always faithful. Not the fact that you never doubt me. <laughs> because you're doubting me big time right now. Your righteousness, Abram, is going to be based upon the fact that I'm going to give it to you. And it's going to be because you believe my promises. Because you've trusted in me. You know, the stars thing, just to go back to the stars for one second. I remember I had a friend when we were in Durham, North Carolina, who uh, became a Christian when he was in his mid-20s. And I was like, okay, uh, what were the circumstances of you becoming a Christian? You know, who, you know, did you talk to someone and you, know, you had a good conversation? Somebody convinced you of the truth of the Bible, etc.? And he's like, no. He's like, I joined a telescope group 
like a, you know, like a Facebook group thing. And we would go out in fields and we would look through big, you know, everybody had these big old, you know, hobbyist telescopes. They're like this big around. And we'd see planets from other galaxies or whatever you see out there when you go out there. And he's like, I was looking through it one night and I was like, there's a God. And I, I need to find out more about this God. So he's like, I started going to church, found out more about the God, gave my life to that God. I'm a Christian. And I was like, what? That's it? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I was like, it's that simple? <laughs> but it was just a neat picture of, again, God's creative power. And how even someone who's, who's not necessarily pursuing God, but God might be pursuing them, it can look at the creative power of God and be changed. And I, that's exactly what I think God was doing with Abram here. He, he was changed through this encounter, through God putting his arm around him and saying, Abram, look up. This is amazing what you're going to see me do. Trust me for a minute. I'm going to come through for you. And so Abram, Abram puts his, believes God. And the way that that word is, is, is powerfully shown forth in Genesis is that belief, this Hebrew word, means like, putting a pillar into solid granite. That's what it connotes. That's what it feels like when you look at the definition of that word. It's kind of like if you've ever been to the beach. Some of you might be going this summer. But a pier that goes way out into the ocean, you ever seen one of those that you can walk out and you can fish off of? It's worthless unless you put the, um, you know, the, what are they called? The pillars, the towers... Pylons, thank, thank, thank you for the correct term, yes. The pilings, <laughs> not bad, I'm getting there. But the pilings need to go into what, Thomas? The earth. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the earth, that is true. Into bedrock. They have to be on something really, really sturdy, right? Or else that pier, the first little storm that blows through, is going to knock that thing sky high. I mean, those things have to, or some of them are made to withstand um, hurricanes. Some of them are not and get blown away every hurricane. But I've seen ones in North Carolina, we go to Brightsville Beach, that are a solid concrete. And they've got pilings that go all the way down into the bedrock. And that sucker ain't moving. And that's the, that's the gist of what, that's the, what Abraham's faith is. It's, he's, he's finally putting his pillar, he's putting his trust into something that's bedrock. Not something that gets tossed to and fro. Not something that is going to change in a few years from now. He's like, you know, I'm going to put my trust in my job. I'm going to put my trust in money. I'm going to put my trust in my kids and my parents. I'm going to put my trust in, you name it, in fun. I'm going to put my trust in, what, in something I think is solid in my life. And then all of a sudden, right, it gets moved. It gets shaken. It gets tossed by the storms of life. And then it's just like a tornado or a hurricane is ripped through and things are in shambles. And Abram's saying, no, 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 no. This is faith in bedrock. This is belief in God. I trust you, Lord. And the Lord says, I will credit to you as righteousness. Now for us, being in the New Testament, it's different than Abram. Because Abram was putting his faith into something that he couldn't see yet. Something in the future. Something about his, God said, I'm going to, your offspring is going to be as numerous as the sand, is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So he's saying, okay, look to the future. 
And then out of his offspring, right, one is going to come, a seed is going to come who will crush the serpent. From his very family line is going to come the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world came, right? We know as we study scriptures. So our faith is not so much looking forward as it is looking back. We're looking back and saying, God has done it for us. He's already proved himself faithful. And he has already come and he's already redeemed us. Now put your faith in that bedrock. That bedrock. Even when the doubts come, y'all. That's what we're saying here from Abram, right? There's doubts. There's fears. There's doubts uh, and fears all the time. Now, last, our last little um, picture of doubt. So the first picture of doubt, right, was Abram being like, I'm scared. The kings are going to get me. And God's like, I've got you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put my back to these kings and no one and nothing is getting through. I've got you. And then Abram's like, oh, how do I know I'm going to have an offspring? How do I know I'm going to be made into a great nation? And God's like, look up at the stars. That's how many, that's how many kids you're going to have. That's, that's what the offspring of your family line is going to look like. Those creative, this creative stars I put into the sky. I'm going, to put your, I'm, I'm going to know all your family by name, just like I know all the stars by name. And then lastly, we see the Lord saying to, to Abram, he says, I am the Lord, Abram who brought you by my calling, I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And Abram's like, well, let's read. (laughs) He's like, verse 8, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? I mean, God has just given him two incredible pictures of the way that he's going to provide for him. He's going to care for him. He's never going to leave him. And Abram's like, uh, still don't quite get it. Not there yet. How can I know? How can I know, know that I will gain possession of it? His faith was struggling again, even though God was coming at him with these promises. Y'all, it's, it's, it's true to our experience, isn't it? Abram's not some unusual person. We, even when God can give us reassurances, concrete reassurances, which he does, even then we find ourselves in doubt. We find ourselves questioning his purposes, his plan for us. And the picture that God, this final picture that God gives Abraham to his final doubt is awesome. We've already looked at it about a year, not even, a little over a year ago. It was a Christmas sermon. You guys may remember. We talk about the smoking fire pot. I don't know if you remember this. And the flame. So basically God's saying, I got you. I got you. I got creative power. I'm going to take care of you. And then lastly, God's like, and, this is what God's saying through this final picture, I'm good for it. That's what what God says. He says, I'm good for it. I'm good for it. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. If you have a broken toilet in your house, you ever had a broken toilet, Calvin? It's nasty. I mean, that bathroom starts stinking. And, you know, usually there's like brown water on the floor. And life is terrible. It's just awful. And so you're like, okay, let's call a plumber. Let's get a plumber over here. And the plumber comes to your house and he says, Woo! This is a big job. This is going to take weeks of work. I mean, we're going to be digging throughout the middle of your house, probably into the ground underneath your house. And I'm telling you, this is going to be expensive and and nasty job. So just take it for what it is. And you're like, okay, 
if you're going to spend weeks at my house, you're going to rip up my entire floor, you're going to dig underneath my house, possibly even messing with my foundations. I need to know you're good for it. Right? So let's sign a contract. That's what we do. We're like, piece of paper, words that say, you're coming through and you're going to charge me this amount and you're not going to go over this amount. Usually they do, though. If you ever notice that? But you're not going to go over this amount and you know, you're going to come for this many weeks and you're going to dig up this much. Sign on the dotted line. And then, if he doesn't come through, if he digs in your house and things get messed up, guess what? He gets in trouble and he has to pay a penalty. A major penalty. Yes! And you can take him to court. Drive him into the ground. I'm not saying you would do that. Obviously, you wouldn't do that. But that's the potential of signing a contract. Well, in the culture of the ancient Near East, that was where Abram was living at the time, the culture of the ancient Near East did not have things like pens and paper. They did not have written contracts. They had written, they had written down a lot of stuff, some stuff, but for a contract, generally, when your king was taking over another land and they were making promises to one another and saying, I'm good for it, what they would do is they would take animals... It was very visible. It was very visceral. They'd take animals and they'd cut them in half. And they would spread the two halves in sort of a pathway. So there's bloody animal on one side, half of a bloody animal on one side, half of a bloody animal on the other side. And then the two parties who are making this contract would walk through the two halves of these animals. Why? Why would they walk through the two halves? They were saying, I'm good for it. And if I don't pay, or if I don't do the work I promised, or I don't come through, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Next time you need plumbing work done, think about doing cutting of animals. I'm telling you, you're going to get some excellent work if you do that. right? And they did. right? They got excellent service. The, the king who conquered and, and made the treaty and split the two halves of the animals apart, usually got fairly good service because it was basically saying, yeah, um, I'm going to have to pay the penalty if I don't come through. Here's what's cool and amazing about the story we see here with Abram. Generally speaking, it was the weaker party that would walk through the two halves, right? Or maybe in some instances it would be both parties, the powerful party who has all the power, and the weaker party would walk through the two halves. they both say, hey, I'm good for it. You can trust me. Well, what happens in our story is, Abram cuts the two halves in part. They're about to make this contract. And it should have been Abram only who walked down the path. And then Abram would be on the hook. You better, you better stop doubting, and you better stop, start believing, and you better get your act together, or you're going to get it like these animals down here that are cut in half. But what happens in the story? Abram falls asleep. And not only does he fall asleep, but an oppressive darkness comes down upon him so that he can't even stand up. It's like a paralyzing darkness. He's on the ground. He'd spent all afternoon tossing his arms around over the animals so that the birds wouldn't come and take the carcasses away. He's tired. I'd be tired too if I was doing that. He lays down on the ground. Darkness comes over him. And the miracle of the story, the most important part is what happens next. The pillar of fire and the smoking fire pot 
go down the aisle, shall we say, between the two animals. And the pillar of fire and the smoking fire pot are essentially just pictures of God. Right When the people of God, the Israelites, are coming out of the land of Egypt, they've been freed from Pharaoh, how does God lead them with his presence? He leads them with a pillar of fire, and during the day, a a cloud or a smoking cloud. It It is God's picture, his visible picture of his presence. So the presence of God walks through the two halves of the animal, and Abram's asleep the whole time. So what is that saying? What's God saying here? God is answering Abram's doubt with power. And the power is this. God is saying, Abram, I'm good for it. You can trust me with your whole life. I'm good for it. But imagine this, right? We might walk through that, even though Abram didn't, and we'd say, hey, God, I'm good for it too. I'm going to trust you all the days of my life. Ooh, right? Be tough, right? To take that vow. And God knows that. God knows that. He's gentle. He's gracious. And he says, I'm good for it for myself and I'm good for it for you. I am going to be the one who is faithful for you. And I am going to give you my faithfulness. And I am going to help you be faithful. And I am on the hook for both of us. Because that's my grace. Because he knows, God knows, Abram, you're going to keep doubting me. (laughs) And we'll find that out as we keep looking through Genesis and go through the next few chapters. We we doubt God sometimes, don't we? I don't know about y'all, but fear comes into my life so quickly. Fear and doubt about, is God going to take care of me? Is God going to come through for me? Is God really good for it? What he's told me? How he's told me he's going to hold my hand and protect me until the very end of my life? So, conclusion. Doubt is a part of life, first thing. Doubt is an inevitable part of life. Just go ahead and accept it. Secondly, God responds to our doubt concretely. In other words, take it to him. God will respond to your doubt. Don't just try to figure it out on your own. Take it to him. And let him deal with it like he dealt with Abraham in very concrete ways. He will show you. He will give you images. He will give you what you need. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's a God of grace. And then lastly, what in particular do you need today? Think about it. Do you need the arms of God wrapped around you with his back turned to some arrows that are coming at you? Do you need to look up today? Look up at his creative power and remember that that creative power is active in your own life? Or do you need to look at Jesus? That's what we do here. It's what we're going to do right now. And looking at Jesus is very similar to the smoking fire pot and the flame, pillar of flame. It's the idea that God is giving us a visible picture of his sacrifice for us. He did take the penalty. He, not only did he walk through in the contract and say, I'm good for it, but then he goes on to take the penalty that we deserve. He pays for it all. 
And this is the picture of His payment for it all, that we might have His righteousness and that we might be free and that we might be accepted and loved by Him for all of our life. What an amazing God! He gives us so many pictures of His love and His grace and His care for us. Let's pray. Lord, I need, I, I need pictures. Pictures like a shield and stars. I need pictures like a smoking fire pot and a pillar of flame. And I need this meal. And I know there are others in here, Lord, that need this meal. Lord, that, are, that are, like me are struggling with all kinds of fears. Maybe with some doubts about who you are, about your care, about the future, about your plans. Lord, I pray that through this meal that you would fill us with trust. Lord, we don't conjure the trust up ourselves. We don't just work it up in ourselves. You fill us with it. We receive it from you. And I pray that we would receive that filling today, Lord. That trust, that faith that you give so graciously and freely to us all. Thank you for Jesus, the ultimate and final payment for all sin. And Lord, may we trust in Him today. We pray these things in His name. Amen. So, Jesus took the disciples, who many of them doubted. I don't even remember Thomas. Remember Thomas? Not this Thomas. There's one for the Bible. What's he known for? Doubting. Doubting. (laughs) Thomas comes to him. Jesus has been resurrected. He's meeting with the disciples in the upper room, just like he did this first time. And I just thought I'd mention this story for fun. And and Thomas is like, I will not believe until I have proof. Till I have a picture. And what does Jesus do? You're condemned. You idiot. Just believe. It's not what Jesus does, does he? He says, here, here. Come, come, feel. He's so gracious. God is so gracious with us. And this meal is his grace to us also. He takes the disciples in the upper room and he's like, y'all, this is, this is a picture. You're going to need a picture. Throughout the rest of history, you're going to have to have a picture of what I've done for you because you're going to forget. And you're going to start to doubt and fear is going to fill your heart. But tonight, as we come to the table today, let's remember Jesus' words. He said, this bread, this, is, this represents my body. This is my body. And it's broken for you. Eat now in remembrance of me. And we would ask as a church, if, if you have not placed your faith in the bedrock of Jesus Christ, we would ask that you let the elements pass by and just spend some time in prayer. But if you have, if you've, if you've laid your piling in the anchor of Jesus, this meal is for you. Eat with joy. Be filled freshly with faith this morning. Amen. Can I get a little help, Dave? You got both of them? Oh, he's on it. Feeling it.